Welcome back to the second episode of What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd. I'm Melissa Floyd. Shocker, but you knew that already, didn't you? And we are here today with Chi Brown of Consider Culture, and we're talking about the black community. We're talking about unpopular opinions within the black community. We're talking about race relations. We're talking about all sorts of things, and we're going to continue this conversation with him uh, in future podcasts, as well as Facebook Lives or Instagram Lives, where we can connect and you guys can ask him questions. He's got his own page, Consider Culture. You can find him there on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And he has some great videos up where he discusses some of these different things. So feel free to visit those social media sites to get more information. So let's continue with part two with Chi Brown. I'd like to know a little bit more about you and where you came from to come to some of the viewpoints that you have. I mean, obviously, we've just scratched the surface on some of these viewpoints and your thoughts on them. And you're so awesome about how you share things and the way that you do. And I think a lot of people might be surprised to hear members in the black community who are saying things that are not not lining up with just what they're hearing on social media. And so it's almost like people are surprised by that. No, you know, there's diversity, obviously, within the black community, just like there's diversity within any racial community. Like you cannot assume everybody black is going to think the same way. And you had mentioned this about the collective versus the individual, which I want to get into that a little more also. But before that, I kind of want to know, I want people to know a little bit more about where you came from, what kind of got you to this place, how you grew up, the kind of environments you grew up in, and how that might have shaped your belief system as it relates to race. Right. So I grew up when I grew up, you know, my, the portions that I remember, I guess, when I when I started to use language, I guess that's when it probably when I started remembering things. You know, my, I remember my parents were still together. They were married. They both were in school, or at least my father was in school. I mean, he was in medical medical. My father was in medical school, and um, my mother basically had a a uh, after school program for kids who were my age, and she would take on kids. I kind of was able to go to a Montessori school, and there were kids of all ethnicities there. And my mother was very social and would uh, let other parents know if she needed to pick their kids up, she would be willing and she would, she would watch them while they were at work. And so we would always have a house full of kids of many ethnicities. And um, then, you know, my parents divorced. And uh, during that time when they were together, we lived in this middle income, uh, middle-class black neighborhood, which is where I spent a lot of my younger years in this middle-class black neighborhood um, while my father was in, in medical school. But once they divorced, after a while, my mother couldn't afford to stay there anymore. And we lived in a, a more lower income um, apartment complex that happened to be uh, majority white, which is uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. To say the least, I, I dealt with uh, some racism and, and, and things of that nature. But, you know, we still had the after school. My mother still did the after, after school care and cared for a lot of the children that lived in the neighborhood as well. So. You know, I was just around a lot of different types of people and I've been able to experience things as my parents gained income or their careers began to take off. My mother went to get a master's degree and then my father, um, you know, he finished with medical school. Unfortunately, my father left the area, so I didn't grow up with my father. I would only see him on on holidays and on on summers because he moved off to the West Coast. We were growing up in North Carolina. So I I was here and my mother didn't make as much money. So the money that my father, I guess, gave to my mother went into my education. So I was able to go to private school where I was around a more white 
um, predominantly white situation because I went to a Quaker school, which is a Carolina Friends School. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned a more left-leaning uh, education. I've, I've been around people who are more of the left than anything. I grew up in the, the most left-leaning city uh, in North Carolina, which is Durham, North Carolina. And, you know, like I said, as my as my parents went off to get their jobs, I began to my mother stopped doing the after school care. And I was basically left to my devices as, as a child. I was a latchkey kid. And um, when I went into my teen years, there became this time where my black friends were kind of questioning my my blackness because I had been in this private school situation for such a long time. And I still had a lot of black friends because the, I still kept up with people in my old community. And, and I, when I had went to public school, I had gained friends there. So I had, I had a lot of black friends, but I had a lot of white friends, too. So it was, eventually there became this kind of clash mm-hmm. where I would have our house always had a lot of kids from the days when my mother did, you know, after school care program. But my mother also dated a white man. So we had I had effectively two white stepbrothers who also had their group of friends. So I had my white friends, black friends, their friends were all coming together under this roof and we'd get into fights and, and I'd, we'd have all kinds of issues. And I remember having a sleepover where I had invited several of my black friends and then uh, several of my white friends. And, you know, I remember the, the white kids ended up going to, to the living room to kind of sleep. And we were in uh, my room having a discussion, all of my black friends, and somebody got angry with me and said that he wanted to fight me. And, and he, I always remember this moment. He said, uh, the reason you won't, I didn't, I didn't want to fight. And he said, the reason you won't fight me is because you've been hanging out with these white kids too long. Hmm. And I always thought to myself that that was odd because what that, what he was effectively saying is that black people are more violent than white people. Um, and it bothered me. Hmm. And as I grew up, I would get more of this push from my peers to go leave white people alone and just hang out with black people. And I, and I did that. But what that meant was uh, embracing cultural aspects that I know were negative um, because all of my black friends, for the most part, were were smoking, uh, drinking, smoking weed and involved in criminal behavior. So I involved myself in a lot of these things. And to my detriment, you know, I I ended up having court cases and, and, and getting involved in violent situations with people. It just wasn't a good thing. And eventually I pulled myself out of those situations. Many, I mean, I spent many years, many, many years engaged in criminal activity. Finally, I, I kind of woke up and I would listen to the media telling people, hey, you know, um, all this black crime is here for a reason. It's here because racism basically forces these people to do these things. They don't have opportunities to do anything else. And I thought about all my friends and how many friends I have who came from middle class communities who still engaged in these, just like me, engaged in these um, criminal activities, not because they had to, but because they had peer pressure, just like any other group has peer pressure. But this was a part of the culture. And because it was part of the culture, I had a friend that told me that he wanted to be a rapper. And he said that, uh, you know, I didn't think I could become a rapper unless I was involved in some kind of amount of crime. I had to have gone to jail at least once. Wow. This was basically, you know, the rites of passage. Mm. He had to go through this to to be more uh, official. To be taken seriously. Yeah. Right. And I think that there's a lot of that 
you know, when you hear people about talking about oh, talking white, a lot you'll hear a lot of black people talking about uh, they they used to be accused of talking white in school or or acting white, and those things are put downs, you know, by your peers, mm-hmm. and they, they they're essentially pushing you towards a different culture that is not going to be beneficial in life. Unfortunately, I know we, we talk. I talked about Martin Luther King. A lot of people don't know that Martin Luther King had this assimilationist movement. A lot of a lot of groups did. This is not limited to black folks. If you look in history mm-hmm. with other groups, they had these assimilationist movements so they could assimilate to American culture. And nobody would think about going to Japan and, and think they would have to accept your, you culturally and you could still do well maintaining the 100% American culture in Japan, that, that's not going to happen. You, when mm-hmm. In Rome, you have to do what the Romans do. And unfortunately for, for a lot of Black people, they feel like I need to create a Black culture or I need to be a part of a Black culture that I can't let go of. There's no way I'm assimilating. They have to accept me for what I, who I am. So I should be able to you know, wear long dreads, even though they have hair length policies to work. You know, there, there's all these things that, that people want to do. But do you and, think some? Um, do you think some of these people that are adopting different characteristics are doing what they think black people should do, looking like how they think black people should look, like not so much what they want to do personally and what they feel called to do, which of course is totally fine, but like doing it because this is how black people act, and I need, you know. But it's almost like it's almost like a story, so to speak, somebody created. Absolutely. I mean, listen, you listen to any black comedian who gets on stage and they will say, you know, this is black people do this. Black people do that. There is this whole idea within the black community of what black people are supposed to be doing, what what they're supposed to think about certain ideas. Um, then then you hear people saying, well, we're not a monolithic group, which we are not. Mm-hmm. But to hear some people tell it, they want us to be a monolithic group. And, you know, I think some of it stems from this idea, you know, dating back to way back, you know, um, James Brown, Black Pride, this idea of unity and being the togetherness, strength in numbers. I think, you know, in some point we thought that there was a need to have more of a monolithic idea about ourselves. But people are human beings. You can't force them into, into these boxes. You have to allow people to be free to do. That's what freedom is about to allow people to do what they want. And I just think that there are a lot of voices mm-hmm. and this isn't just, this isn't just black people because sure. when I was in pri- private school, white kids were like, you need to be listening to NWA <laughs> you need to be doing this. You're black. You're, why aren't you listening to these, these things? I, I just think there was a, in my life, there was a constant push for me to be a certain way. And I, I certainly see it for other people. You know, I went to a, an HBCU, worked at an HBCU for many years. I've seen um, this is historically black college or university. I've seen a lot of, of people go through these situations still. You know, I, I see people putting this kind of peer pressure on the, on their peers to be more black, whatever that means to them. And Would that be even that, more like obvious too at an all black college? I don't know that it would be. I, I mean, I, you, you certainly see you see more, quote unquote, black culture at a black college. I don't know if there's as much of a push. I think there would probably be more of a push at a predominantly white institution because there you have 
the the majority culture being white, you'll have black people who essentially want black people to kind of have this togetherness and closeness because mm. they, people always tend to do that. They just kind of segregate themselves right. for whatever reason. So when you were a teen and you felt that pressure, you, you had told me you basically were at that place where you were told to choose a side or you, you knew you kind of had to choose a side and you chose your black friends and right. that part of you. And then you kind of got involved in the type of activities your black friends were doing to be considered black enough and to be considered mm -hmm. like you were like legit, you know, like essentially at that point, which is, I think a lot of people have felt that, especially people that are of mixed race mm -hmm. and, um, and feel pulled between both both sides and it's like on one side you're not accepted over here um, because you're not white enough let's say and over here you're not black enough and and there's that whole um, level of identity crisis that kind of goes on especially through those teen and young adult years of like who who am I and do I need to be part of a group or a collective like what if I don't listen to NWA and what if I actually like you know some Seattle grunge rock or something like is that <laughs> does that make me less black does that make me not accepted after you kind of got involved in some of the not so great stuff that was to your detriment like you said what made mm -hmm. you come out of that what made you kind of get to a new place and did you come to a new term as far as your identity did you come to a new place of going you know what i am who i am regardless i don't need to please anybody to to be taken seriously how did you feel <laughs> yeah i think at the time the main thing that that kind of took me out of that is getting shot at <laughs> and and uh yeah there are other things that that happened to me when i was uh, a teen that um that weren't you know, they may not have been uh, as bad as being shot at, but, you know, being jumped by a group of five people and robbed at one point, that basically made me, that was probably my last draw. It's like, okay, my last draw, I had to, I had to reevaluate what I was doing at that point. And I was in my twenties at that point. I was mm. still pretty old. I've, I've been through so many years of being heavily involved in hip hop culture. I work around black people all day. So I, I don't think it, it, culturally there are some aspects of me that aren't going to change in that way. But I don't I don't hang on to the negative aspects of portions of black culture. I mean, of course, there are many different cultures within any group. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to try and say that black culture is this one thing There, it's not. That's basically what I'm trying to say is black black people can be whatever they want to be. But, you know, I think coming out of it, for me to be able to come out of it and be who I was, it, it took a long time. It's taken a long time. I mean, I found that I feel liberated in being a conservative and being able to talk about these ideas that I discuss without fear. I mean, I, I do fear that I may lose a job eventually for speaking the way that I speak. I fear that something will happen. I'll be ostracized. It hasn't happened yet. But I feel so empowered in being able to speak my mind and 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 be who I am, that it would be impossible to get to get me to bend to the will of my peers and be what they want me to be. I just you have to the way to change my mind is through facts and evidence. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, they they normally don't have the facts and evidence on their side to persuade me. So I, I'm I'm continuing to try and just present what I feel the facts are, look at things in, in more in depth ways. Whereas I think that many people do not. And, and that's, you know, that's the main thing that's unfortunate. 
And so it feels, and I'll, and I'll kind of get to the last question for this particular interview, because we're going to talk a bunch more. Um, but um, it kind of feels like being a black conservative today is the minority opinion. It's the minority opinion within the black community. I mean, I'm hearing a lot more people talk about it. And it's, I remember, um, I think it was Thomas Sowell that said there was a point in the 60s where it was like him and one other gentleman. And he was like, we both said we could not fly on a plane together because if we do, the entire black (laughs) conservative movement would be gone because at that point there were like two people. Um, right. It's obviously him it's, and Walter Williams. Yes, right, and and it's it's mm-hmm. so it's growing. We know it's growing because you, you see more people speaking out about it, but it's still not necessarily looked looked upon with like legitimacy. It's a weird thing. It's hard to say, but like as this discussion of race relations has come up in the last uh, several months, um, when I would share a viewpoint from somebody who is a black conservative. It's like people would be like, well, yeah, but that's not really a black person. That's not really a voice from the black community. Right. And, and, and you know, you mentioned the black community is not monolithic, as is any, you know, group of people. But it kind of seems like, at least socially, it feels mm-hmm. like they're not really, the public is not tolerating the diversity within the black community as far as opinions and they're not equally legitimate. So as a black conservative and, and I'm sure we'll address this aspect more, what I want to know is one, have you received backlash for being a voice that is the unpopular opinion, which is kind of like mm-hmm. should be my middle name, but um, mm-hmm. <laughs> at this, at this point, um, have you received backlash? And then, do you think there are other people in the black community that feel the same way you do, but are afraid to speak up because they're afraid they're not going to be accepted for that viewpoint? Yeah, I've uh, definitely faced backlash. I have friends who don't want to deal with me anymore, <laughs> who uh, take shots at me on, on social media. Um, so there, there has been backlash and, you know, I've, I've been called all sorts of names online. But I've been doing this now since probably 2004 with those uh, blogs on, mm-hmm. on Black Planet. I've gotten used to it, and uh, I guess I've got tough skin. I don't really get too upset about it. Um, I kind of understand where they're coming from because mm-hmm. I, I know their background, especially with my friends. I know their their background. They don't have the same background that I have. A lot of people didn't have the opportunity to even have white friends. I have a lot of black friends who never hung out with white people in terms of, of having real friendships or real relationships. So, I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity to have those relationships and, and just view people as human beings rather than seeing their color first, you know, and a lot of that was through my childhood. And they say that children don't, don't see race. I guess when I was a kid, I, I didn't see the need to, to focus on race. And as I got older, it's as people kind of forced us to focus on our race, mm-hmm. it became more of an issue. But, you know, I, I think the, the other thing is that a lot of these people that I grew up with, their parents taught them these ideas. They mm-hmm. were taught these ideas from, from, from early on. Their parents were involved in, I have friends whose parents were involved in Black Panthers and, 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 were, you know, civil rights movement people. And my mother was in, involved in some civil rights, but, you know, my mother, I, I didn't say this earlier, but my, my mother was Puerto Rican. I didn't really grow up in a house being raised by a black parent. So my experience is a little bit different. Do you think that 
there are other black people in the community that are have the same viewpoints that you do, but they're afraid to speak right. up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think there absolutely are. I mean, what has been happening, I think, in the in the Trump era, I think we're seeing a lot of these uh, opinions start to bubble up. You know, you're seeing more people who who feel comfortable speaking out with, um, you know, the walk away movement is, is certainly one where I've seen a lot of black people who are you know, the hashtag walk away, they're, they're posting their, their walk away stories and how they've started to learn about things like the ideas that are being presented by like Prager University and, and, you know, Candace Owens, a lot of the big name YouTubers, Brandon Tatum, who um, is the gentleman who's, who you found, where you found me, I was right. on, on his discussion. So there's a lot of people out there who are, who are discussing these things now. And when I first started my YouTube channel, I had another YouTube channel. Um, it was called the Four Change Movement. And basically, I was discussing these ideas then when I was still a, a, a Democrat, but I was still talking about race the same way. Mm. And I could remember there were probably only four or five channels who would speak the way I was speaking. There's, you know, four or five people on, on there speaking the way that I do. And it was very much <laughs> we were like looked at like we were aliens. Mm -hmm. But now you can get on YouTube and there's there's I don't know how many people who talk like me. There's certainly a, more there are dozens, I would say, maybe more than that. And um, just seeing so many people who are engaged in, in political discussions now is just it's amazing turn of events. I think there are going to be more uh, black conservatives that you see um, because people see that this stuff is nonsense. I mean, the things that are going on today in America are going to be hard to tolerate. When you look at victimization rates in the black community and we us having the highest victimization rates, you know, black people being the victims of, of violent crime in America, that's going that's going to come back as a topic that needs to be discussed when we start seeing more these the death rates escalate when police stop policing certain black communities and i think that that will wake some people up that's what i was saying maybe this era that we're in this time that we're in now may be necessary for people to kind of wake up out of this they say they're woke but it seems like they're kind of asleep hmm. and need to be actually uh, awakened because Every time there was just a new study that came out just a couple of days ago and it by um, Roland Fryer Jr., who is a Harvard economist, a black Harvard economist. And he basically said that every time we have this huge news swirl around a police shooting of a black person or a police killing of a black person, the months following that. In the months following, I think he, he documented, I, I think it was 48 months, if I remember correctly. I can't remember exactly because I just read it. But basically, he said about 180 black lives are, are taken by other black people in black communities because police pull back. The police stop policing in communities like Ferguson was the, the first one. You heard of probably something called the Ferguson effect, where the police kind of relaxed what they were doing because people were protesting police. And mm -hmm. then you get more black death. And this whole idea that black lives matter and they're not paying attention to this fact shows me that it's really not about the black lives. It's about, like I said earlier, preserving that narrative. The unfortunate fallout of preserving the narrative is going to be that more blacks will be losing their lives. I, I mean, will it really will it really matter? Will it wake people up? I, I hope it does. But, you know, the, the problem is that the, the most outspoken black voices are those voices who are the elites, black elites, like the Oprah's, the Jay-Z's, um, Colin Kaepernick's, 
these people live in communities where they don't have issues. They don't have problems. Mm -hmm. Like I was, I used to do um, reporting. I was a mass comm major in undergrad and I worked for a, a local newspaper that covered, you know, the, the impoverished communities. And I remember interviewing a woman who told me, you know, I go to the town hall meetings about all the problems in our community. And what really pains me is all the black people that are speaking out for our community don't live in our community. Hmm. And that always stuck out to me because it, it basically reaffirmed what I had thought, which is that these people who are who are out here, you know, protesting and, and carrying on don't have to deal with the outcome of these ridiculous ideas that they're proposing. So if you're talking about defunding the police, you have to realize that that's going to be much more harmful and detrimental to black people than it will be to any other group. And mm -hmm. they're not they're not even considering it because to them, the narrative is more important than actual black lives. And you're saying and, and in, in some cases, a lot of these cases, people were coming from out of town. People are there were white people involved in, in starting some of the writing and things. So these are not the people that are going to be affected by these types of things either because they're not really in the communities and even just destroying certain communities that's not going to be where those people live because they don't live there so they're not going to have to walk by all these destroyed buildings and things that were used that were retail and um, you know providing services to the community which which is an issue I mean you know to me that's an issue if you're not a member of the community how are you representing that community and that should be something that people are talking about Right. And the ironic thing is that's the same thing that they say about the police. The police aren't from the community, but you're in the community t talking for the community. But why can't the police be from a different community? I mean, it's just another point. But I think that you're right. There are a lot of people who don't come from these places who are they are instigating. Mm -hmm. You know, I, you know, there are a lot of pe black people who own businesses. There are black people who work in the businesses that are there. Right. And you think that they want Target to disappear if they work at Target? <laughs> I mean, right. you just you just killed some somebody's job. So there's just so many bad ideas, I think, that are coming from these people who are who are just reacting poorly to what they see as racism. But it's there's no evidence of racism. It'll be interesting, like you said, to see kind of what unfolds in the next couple of weeks or a couple of months um, regarding law enforcement and and what happens as a result of that. Um, and we'll have so many other topics that we continue to kind of go in um, as it relates to race and culture with you, because um, there's just like a, a lot to say. And and there'll be other members of the black community that I'll be interviewing as well for this. And additionally, I have a whole series on law enforcement um, officers that I will be unveiling on this podcast also, because it's so important just to really, you know, see different perspectives and um, and have the discourse, have the discussion. This is a discussion I feel like a lot of people just aren't having. They're um, either repeating what they hear on the news or they're just sticking to one particular viewpoint and that's it. And I'm always interested in the other side of the story. I'm always interested in the story that's not told. And, and you know, as a result, I get labeled as somebody who is um, only showing one side. But I feel like the other side is all you hear anyway. So I don't need to also give you that side. That's already available to everybody. So I'm trying to really give the other side of the story. And I enjoy your viewpoint, um, Chi, a lot. And, and we'll get into some other things as well. And let people know where they can find you on social media. They can follow you, watch your videos, et cetera. Let them know what your um, locations are for social media. Yeah, so I'm on uh, YouTube, 
Facebook and Twitter under Consider Culture, all one word, Consider Culture, at Consider Culture. And then I'm on Instagram at, at Consider underscore Culture. Yeah, and I encourage you guys to check him out. He has content, discussion, um, and go visit his pages. And we're going to do some Facebook Lives, like I mentioned, so that'll be great. Everybody get a chance to see you, and, and we'll continue to discuss maybe some things that are, like, super current at that point. Um, and, and we'll just we'll talk about them, or maybe we'll talk about an event that happened 30 years ago and kind of dissect it a little bit and, and sort of see how people responded. And, and it, you know, it's so important to kind of look at both past and present so that we can kind of have an idea of best ways to go in the future. So we'll keep going into that kind of stuff. And um, thank you so much for giving us your time um, today and, and chatting with me. And we have a lot more to discuss and I appreciate you. And, and thanks again for, for being a part of this with me. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Good. I will I will chat with you later. Make sure you guys check him out at Consider Culture. And uh and, and I and invite everybody to kind of take some of these topics and discuss them with friends, with family, with um, you know, friends that are of different races. Have the discussion. What what do people think about this? We can't all be quiet on this issue. We can't be all afraid of saying something that's, you know, going to be taken the wrong way. It's important to have the discourse. So if you like something that you heard today that really made you think, then bring it up and and have this discussion with those that you care about so that we can all kind of, you know, be critical thinkers, expand our mind and, and find real ways to kind of build the community between races, not just separately, because I think that's kind of the only way we're going to get out of, out of this in the future is really, is really coming together. So thanks again, Chi Brown from Consider Culture, and we will be with you guys on a next episode of What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd. 